This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, your host, life coach, and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, we are interviewing the amazing Rachel Grant. I want to start by telling our listeners how I found the lovely and amazing Rachel Grant. If you've been listening since the beginning of the show, or if you've gone back to listen to some of the original episodes from last year, you'll hear that I was struggling. I was super triggered. My dad was getting out of prison six years early, and I got online and started figuring out what resources do I have? How can I engage some help? And I stumbled upon Miss Rachel Grant's huge and amazing Facebook group. And it was the first time I joined a group of survivors that way. I have done in-person groups, but I had never used social media for that. In fact, as a therapist, I didn't really know that that existed. So that was how I found Rachel. And I thought her work was amazing. And since the very first show, I have wanted to have you on. So thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Wow, Nikki. Thank you. That's lovely. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Thank you. When I was researching you and reading about you, I found out that you have a master's degree in counseling psychology. And I'm, you know, a lot of our listeners are therapists and life coaches. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about how you went from schooling to coaching? Because I'm a hybrid and I don't, I don't meet a lot of people who have that background in education and have taken their, their business and their healing and their passion to coaching. And I know lots of listeners are wondering about that. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, that, at that part in my journey, I was really in this place of trying to transition from, I had been a nanny for 10 years, which I loved, but unfortunately the kids kept growing up, Nikki, they just wouldn't stop. (laughs) (laughs) And so I thought, all right, what's next? And I was really in a very, um, interesting place in my own healing journey. I had gotten out of a a 10-year relationship that was abusive, and I was really recreating my life. And at that point was in a place that I was really, really determined to be done and done with this whole sexual abuse, pain, history, trauma stuff. And so I had become very obsessed with this idea of understanding how we actually heal the injury of trauma. 
so that led me into reading a whole bunch of things and just kind of self-study. I've always joked that I'm one of those people who I do the job before I get the degree for the job. (laughs) (laughs) I always reverse order things. And so I just started kind of putting things together and using myself as a guinea pig. And then I was talking with a friend about kind of next steps and future, and she suggested I look into graduate school, that that might be a good way to kind of bolster what I was doing and make sure that I had some education and foundation to back up what I was kind of intuitively discovering and sorting through. And so I did. I I started my master's in counseling psychology with the intention of becoming a marriage and family therapist. I walked in those doors thinking that that was my path and that was what I was going to do. And while I was aware of coaching and I had, you know, some friends who were coaches, I didn't, it wasn't really fully on my radar. And then two things happened. One of my semesters, I had a group coaching class with um, Dan Clerman, who's just an amazing professor and coach. And he and I began having more conversations about this whole world of coaching. And it really started to spark my interest as I began to understand what some of the differences were and what the dynamics were. And then the second thing that happened was that I was in my legal and ethics class. And I was listening to the professor go on about, you know, if this happens, you need to report that. If this happens, you do. I could just feel my stomach tightening. Mm -hmm. I was like, I am probably going to end up getting, you know, um, kicked out by breaking all the rules, right, and go to jail or something Mm -hmm. because it just felt so restrictive. And that caused me to take a step back and really consider which of these two paths were going to give me the space and the freedom that I really wanted to do the work in the way that I wanted to do it. And as I got clear that I wanted to be able to work virtually, um, as I started interviewing more coaches, I think I did something like a hundred informational interviews wow. with a bunch of different coaches to get a feel for the, the lay of the land here. And I got a mentor coach as well who actually gave me my very first client too. Um, but I just started to realize that coaching fit in with the where I was wanting to work with my clients. Therapy would be a great place if I wanted to sit with people in a different kind of space, namely what I describe as the survivor stage of healing, where you maybe just started to acknowledge what happened to you. You're just needing a safe space to begin talking about that experience and getting some reflection and guidance. And I love therapy and I love people who work with people at that stage. But what I wanted to be doing was really working more collaboratively, a little bit more psychoeducationally, and um, really focusing on, yes, using the past as information to understand why people are struggling the way they are, but very quickly turning that question into, so what are we going to do about that? and teaching interventions and teaching strategies. And I also understood growing up in a small town, I grew up in Oklahoma, and um, when I was a kid, there weren't a lot of resources. This was partly due to the time. It was like the 80s, Mm -hmm. and so there just weren't resources kind of period. But I've also just had a mind towards understanding that people in rural communities or even internationally, like places like India, I have a client in Brazil right now, you know, they don't have the structures and the systems in place to support them. And I knew that coaching was going to afford me the space to work with people from all over the country and all over the world, wherever they were. And I really um, like that. So those are some of the reasons that really I stepped into the coaching lane more so than the therapy lane. But of course, I draw on all of that education as I'm working with my clients. Oh, I love this. So you and I are sort of, I think, 
women after each other's hearts, maybe. Because <laughs> I went all mm-hmm. the way through and that rule breaking part of you, I have that so strongly. Uh, and wow, mm-hmm. was it hard to go through all of that. It, all the, I, I can't stress enough to people how much of the education of being a therapist is how to not be sued and what could go wrong. I, and I mean, fear, 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 ah. fear, fear. And it ate me up. And I had no concept of coaching when I was going through that. So I've really come to coaching in a very sort of backwards. I mean, it's perfect for me, right? But a backwards sort of way <laughs> where I've had to, it, it's grown me. Because yeah. I, I think to heal childhood sexual abuse, a lot of it is you're breaking the rules in your family. So being a rule breaker is really, I, I think, part of what we're kind of coaching people to do, even if we never frame it that way. Oh, I love that. That's so interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I think that if we look at the process of healing, it really has a lot to do with, you know, getting outside of the constructs that have been built around you mm-hmm. as a result of trauma. And your brain has developed a certain belief system and certain processes and behaviors that are supposed to be like, these are good for you, right? Mm-hmm. This is the way it's supposed to go. And I think a lot of what I am working on with my clients is helping them to take another look at that and consider, is there a different path? Is there a different way? Is there another opportunity in front of you that would actually give you more life and vitality and freedom? And so, you know, I often describe healing as the process of shedding all of the layers of lies that have been built on and that has been taken on as a result of trauma. So I very much identify with that, just that feeling of breaking free and kind of punching through things and saying, (laughs) you know, no more, this is going to be different. Yeah. Oh, it's so much permission to, to grow into who we we maybe were originally meant to be, but we're going to be even better when we do this healing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, one of the things when I was developing my business, I reached a place in my journey. Well, this is the other thing that was really frustrating to me about my just de- my education was that I was learning a lot about how to do the work, you know, how to sit with someone and be in the space with them and kinds of questions to ask. And um, my mentor coach was giving me some of the foundations of running a business, um, but I was really shocked at how a little uh, education there was in my program about how to run a business. Oh my gosh, I got zero. I got absolutely nothing. Yeah, and I was like, wait a second here. (laughs) You you want me to spend all this money, take all this time, and you're not even going to teach me how to be, you know... um, you know, successful. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. And so at a certain point in my business, I I really had all the foundations there as far as I had my curriculum and the program Beyond Surviving had really been created. And I was starting to work um, with some very brave clients, you know, early on. And I was like, hey, I don't know if this is going to work for you. Work for me. Let's see if it works for you. Um, But I was getting a little momentum, but not enough. And so I stepped into doing some business coaching and working with a mentor in that way. And I just remember along in that process, there being lots of moments of having to stretch into, um, you know, kind of who I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up. And um, that, that for me was a big part of the process too, because when 
I was standing there with this mentor on, on the stage. It's a very vivid moment for me. And he's helping us kind of understand what our business is. And he, he's asking me questions. He's like, so what do you do? And I go into all of the like, well, I use cognitive behavioral techniques, you know, <laughs> to support. Da, 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 da. And, and he's like, no, what do you do? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, I make sure that people feel good about them. <laughs> he's just pushing and pushing. Him. And I hit on this. I said, finally, I just kind of like took a breath. I said, you know, what I really want most for every person that I work with, I'm getting a little... Oh, I am too. about that. That's interesting. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really want all of them to just understand and get to return to their authentic self, like the person they were supposed to be yes. before any bullshit happened to them. And you could just feel it in the room. It was like, ah that's it. And mm-hmm. he stopped to press it. But he was like, yeah, that's it. And that has been such a guiding light for me in my work because so many people, I remember what it felt like to walk through the world with this imagined self. It's an illusionary self. You think it's real. It feels so very real. The I'm worthless, the I'm not good enough, the I'm just an object to be used. And I'll never fit. I'll I'll never fit anywhere. I'll never fit. Mm -hmm. Nikki, that's such a big one, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to work out for me. You know, nobody's going to get it. Nobody's Mm going to understand. And, um, And so in my own process of healing, it really was about pull that away and then what's there and then pull that away and then what's there. And what I discovered was that my, who I am authentically, it wasn't like there was something I had to build. There wasn't like this big gap and I had to figure all that out. Really what I just had to do was pull away all of the crap so I could see myself authentically again. Yes. And then bolster that with skills and tools that would help me shine So setting boundaries and communication and being able to trust and all of those bits and pieces that I'd missed out on learning because I was a mess, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They had time to learn those things when I was a kid and a teenager and a young adult because I was just trying to survive Mm -hmm. and get through a day. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's so powerful to hear you talk about it. I, I think a lot of people get caught up in the amount of resources that are available now that like you were saying in the 80s and Mm -hmm. through the 90s for me the internet was just starting there wasn't a lot like maybe oprah was starting to talk about childhood sexual abuse and that was kind of it so nobody really knew like everything about it was coming out of the shadows and Mm -hmm. the more that we we have more resources i keep seeing people get stuck in but I read about this. I read about, I'll meet people who have read every Ooh, book under the sun. Everything. And I'm like, we're living in such a knowledge-based society that I think the average person who hasn't had really good coaching or really good sort of coachy therapy doesn't really understand that a coach helps us practice that knowledge until it becomes our subconscious. Like we want our subconscious to grab this new stuff and be able to live it and do it, not just think it. Know about it. Yeah. um, What I often tell my clients is that talking about trauma and thinking about trauma is not the same as healing trauma. Yes. (laughs) You might be extremely what I call book smart about trauma. You know, all the link triggers, neurology, amygdala, you know, fight, uh-huh. fight, freeze, you know, but that's not the same as being street smart 
about trauma. And mm-hmm. I think this is where some of my like country roots come into because like you had to be a little street smart, even in the country. Most people think about that as like an urban thing, right? But actually growing up in the country, navigating the social constructs that were there, navigating being in a small town, um, got into plenty of scraps as a kid, you know, these sorts of things, um, I think built me up in such a way that when I, I am very book smart, I love to read. I love that piece about the education, but I think all of that growing up in that way is part of what led me to look at trauma from this lens of, it's almost like going to battle with something. And I'm gonna beat you. <laughs> uh huh. So like you will not win. Like we, we all have that inner fighter. Exactly. And I, you know, that's where the name mm-hmm. of my show comes from. Is I was sitting with an abuse survivor yes. who was feeling very broken and very down and very vulnerable and mm-hmm. very. How am I ever gonna get myself out of this hole? This hole's too deep. And I sat yeah. back and I just had this intuition. I said, I. I don't like how you're looking at this. Can I offer you a different perspective? Like, look at what you've survived. Like, you were a badass. You were an emotional badass. And right when I said it, it was like electricity in the room. And she just perked up. She's like, I've never thought of myself that way. And I'm like, I've never thought of it that way either till this moment. But I'm looking at you and yes, like you're an emotional badass. I'm an emotional badass. Like, this is what we've survived. Isn't it messed up that we don't feel more powerful that we're still here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so true. You know, there's this way of collapsing, you know, Mm -hmm. that when we're in trauma, when we're in the pain, when we're in the false beliefs of trauma, it's completely collapsing. We feel disempowered. We feel like we don't have any choice. We feel like life is just happening to us and there isn't anything that we can do. And one of the reasons why that occurs is because it's partly right. At a point in our life, we had no choice. Mm-hmm. We were disempowered. The, the saddest thing to me about trauma is if we could somehow find a way to put a container around the moment of mm-hmm. trauma, those experiences of trauma, and that would just be it, you know, that actually wouldn't be so bad. The part that is so, so detrimental about trauma is that this experience starts to bleed in to the rest of our lives, into our present day, into our futures. And we continue to reference our sense of self and what's possible and what's available based on those past experiences, which this is understandable. This is what we do. This is how the brain works. And it's not until we have some support or some direction about how to intervene that and how to change that, that we can change our lives. But when we start to recognize that while it's true that we had no choice and we were disempowered at a place in our lives, that is true. But what is not true is that we have to continue living this way and we can change the way we see ourselves. So exactly, wait a second, actually these experiences have given me a capacity to respond to life in a way that other people don't have. These experiences have given me a lens through which I can see things happening around me that other people miss. There are actually a lot of what I call superpowers that come yes. out as a result of abuse as soon as but they could only be superpowers when we know how to steward them. Because when we don't know how to steward them, when we don't know how to take charge of our brain or our system or ourselves, then everything's out of whack 
and it is disruptive and it is dysregulated. And, you know, it, it looks like my life in my teens and my 20s where things were a hot mess, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, in a lot of ways, the same perceptions are here. I've just tweaked the way that I use them. And now they're to my benefit rather than my detriment. Absolutely. Oh, I love this work so much. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you, and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health now live on all podcast platforms. Yeah, it's kind of kick-ass. I really, um, in many ways, didn't expect to be here. Um, my, my intention in my life was to be a high school English teacher. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was mine too. That was totally mine too, oh high God, school English. So <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's so cool, Nikki. You know, but life does what it will with you sometimes. You know, it just you, you start on a path and then you follow the next crumb and then that leads you to this and then that leads you to this. And, um, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years now. And it's been an amazing process. To first of all, see myself grow in this mm-hmm. work and to see my understanding of myself deepen and how I want to show up for people and what's a priority and what's important to keep stretching myself and growing. You know, one of the things that's really been an intention that I've set from the very beginning was to not never get to a place where I thought that I knew it all. Yes. <laughs> and instead, you know, to keep learning, keep expanding keep questioning um, because the other thing that I was really suspicious about when it came to the therapy work that I was doing I really felt like they kind of were you know punching a clock like well this is the Mm -hmm. thing that I do and that's how I do it and even though I have a very set specific curriculum that curriculum keeps evolving Mm -hmm. you know um, I keep adding in things keep learning things one fun fact I just learned that I've recently woven in um to the program, I was doing some research because a lot of my work is about healing the brain, retraining the neuronal pathways, Mm -hmm. using interventions and strategies to do that so we can have healthy nervous system regulation. And uh, I was researching and doing a little bit of reading and I came across this article that was talking about how studies are starting to show that to build a neuronal synapse, this connection that creates thoughts, beliefs, memories, etc., takes 400 repetitions. Mm in order for it to integrate and really be there, unless you add in play. And as soon as you add in play, it takes 10 to 12 repetitions. Ooh, I love this. And I thought, ooh, this is something I was already kind of intuitively doing in my program. Mm-hmm. I think very much influenced by my time as I ended up working in preschool instead of high school because I hung out with the high schoolers, Nikki, and I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> I, can't do, I can't deal with you all. Let uh-huh. me go hang out with the babies. Okay. And then, you know, 10 years as a nanny. And so play 
Kentucky has always just been kind of a part of my life. And I think it's also just my part of my authentic self. I've been, a, I'm just a playful person. And so it's naturally in my program, but this research that's now come out, I'm like, oh, great. Now we have some science to back up what I've been doing and I can turn the dial up on that. And that's what I love to like continue to evolve and grow and learn new things and, and bring that to my community and bring that to my clients so they can get the absolute best you know, resource and support and guidance. Oh, well, that comes through because if I'm totally transparent, that's probably the thing that made me like healer to healer, like trust you was that you're playful mm-hmm. a lot like I am. And I recognize that and I don't see that a lot. I think that's a big I think it's a big problem in clinical counseling is that they that is that I know in my own healing, I was very frustrated with traditional therapists that they would sit there and hold space with me and give me messages like, but you really do have the answers on the inside. I'm not going to give you any advice. I'm like, no, I didn't. I was raised in a household with incest and complete insanity. The answers that I have about life are all through that matrix Yes, Nikki. That I think was one of the moments when, like, there were two moments where that also bolstered this feeling of like I've got to do something differently. Certainly, that that repetition of how do you how do you feel? What do you think you should do? And I remember yelling at a therapist mm-hmm. one time, like, if I knew what to do, I wouldn't be sitting here paying you. Yes, <laughs> I would be out doing it. Right? Yes, I've said the same and, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why the program that I developed is a coaching structure curriculum. Here's what you need to do. Now, it might resonate with you. It might not. This is what worked for me. And I think it works for a lot of people. It doesn't work for everybody. But here's the step-by-step process that I'm going to show you the path. So you're not having to figure that part out. Your part is just figuring out how to integrate and how to practice and how to remain curious and playful. The other thing that really set me off around therapy was a conversation I was having one day where I was feeling really broken. I was just in one of those really bad places where I thought, this is never going to get any better. My life is just, this is how it's going to be. And I said to the therapist that exact thing, and he came back with, well, yeah, you know, this is how it's going to be. You're just going to have to kind of find ways to be better about it or to, you know, feel better about how things oh, are. That's so depressing. Hell no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. You're fired. You're so fired. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think people are surprised sometimes that I take a very adamant stand that this is not a life sentence. You are not meant to be in the pain of trauma for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a little bit counter to some of the Um, philosophies that have been around for a very long time. But that's part of my mission is to start changing the way we talk about healing from trauma, changing the, the, like creating new myths almost, if you will, but Mm -hmm. hopefully that are closer to the truth. (laughs) You know, that yes, there is a period and stage in our lives where we are in what I call recovery, are really focused on the trauma. And you've got to be doing that work and you've got to be looking at it and dealing with all of the, you know, trickle-down effects of that trauma and taking it on. But I really do believe that there is an endpoint to that stage. Absolutely. There has to be. There has to be for sanity's sake. Yeah. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, I think, really the work that I do at the end of the day is one part helping people complete that recovery stage, get complete about the past abuse, 
under, put it into a context in which it is a part of their lives. It is not their entire life. It is not the thing that the, you know, I often describe it like there's a point in recovery when it's like there is this spotlight on that time in your life and everything is about that and every, all your feelings are about that and your day-to-day thoughts. But eventually what we want to have happen is that that experience becomes just a tapestry, like a part of the tapestry of your life, a thread in that whole big tapestry so that it's not this singular focus on these events, but you can start to see your whole life um, in view. And, um, and that's how that experience becomes integrated and stops being something that you have to work on and deal with and manage every single day. And then you get to just live your life. So the other part of the process is teaching people how to do that. What are the skills and tools and strategies that you need to live the most empowered life that you can. Yes. Yeah. That's such an important part that the traditional therapy model misses. Like I had, when I tell people I had to practice learning how to be joyful, my natural state is very joyful and light and I'm childlike and I, I worked with kids and my first business was babysitting. So different than your nannying, but similar in that I can connect with children and I can get down on that, their level and that that's a healing force for me mm-hmm. but we it's not just dealing with the trauma it's then learning how to step yeah. into the life that you can have and and it's it's a weird thing i think for the average person to consider that we would practice being light or practice or that somebody's <laughs> paying me and i'm saying i would like you for your homework to go sit and blow bubbles and i'm like mm-hmm. yes you you pay me for this Mm-hmm. That's what I want you to do. And they're like, what? And it's like, it's got to be more complicated than that. Or it's gotten, it's like, nope. No, oh if, my gosh. Isn't that the truth? The whole, this has to be hard and heavy and difficult. I'm constantly pushing back against that with my clients. Uh, like, guys, it doesn't have to be that hard. Take five minutes today to do something to love yourself. And, yes. you know, it's, it can be the simplest, smallest steps. The things that we think don't matter that actually end up adding up to the biggest impact um, in really changing ourselves in our lives. Oh, I love it. I love that you're out there carrying this message. Like you're making me feel unalone in carrying this play, be light, this, you know, look, look, look at how light and happy and genuinely happy. Because I know people get that from me. They can feel that I'm happy. I can feel that you're happy. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, you know, one of those moments in my life where I sat down one day and I was just kind of reading and hanging out in my house and I I just looked up and I looked around my home and I thought, wow, things are kind of quiet. Things are kind of boring. Things are kind of easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is this? Uh-oh. What yep. is this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. And then I just started laughing out loud. And to me, like every day, uh, laugh is a tribute to... um to my mom, to my dad, and to the hard work that I've done. I remember when I, um, it was a combination of the childhood trauma that I experienced and the um, abusive relationship that I was in. When I saw my mom, maybe about six months to a year after um, I divorced, I went to visit her and uh, walked in and we were sitting, we were talking, we were hanging out, and she just stopped me and she said, Rachel, it's so good to see you smile again. Mm. Like, welcome back. And that has always stuck with me. Like, yeah, you know, trauma tries to steal our joy. Trauma tries to steal our life. And, you know, that can feel like, again, something we don't have any choice about. And 
for a while until we get support and interventions and strategies that can be somewhat true. But I just really felt in that moment, Nikki, that I, I just made a commitment to myself. And I'm human, so not every day is, you know, sunshine and roses. But I have an internal compass that keeps bringing me back to joy, that keeps bringing me back to laughter, to lightness, to play, to not taking things so damn seriously. Yes. Um, because most, you know, from 10 when the abuse started up until my mid-20s, 28s, you know, 18, 20 years of my life was in the harsh and in the dark mm -hmm. and in the pain and in the, you know, morose, if you will, you know. And, um, and so I just really strive every day to to step out of that and stay out of that and, and keep connecting back in to laughter and joy because that really is our birthright at the end of the day, I think. Oh, beautiful. Oh, all right, Rachel. Well, on that note, how about you tell us what you have going on? Because you are a lady with books and programs. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Where do I begin? Yeah, so um, first of all, I would love anybody who's listening to just come hang out at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Check out the resources there. Check out the free guide about the stages of recovery. That's a really great place to start, especially if you're not quite sure where you are in this journey and you want to have a bit of guidance to understand some of the main goals that we want to achieve at each stage of healing and what kind of support is important at each stage of healing. You know, therapy is a really great place to go when you're in that survivor stage and you just need that safe space to land, but don't get stuck there. Mm -hmm. because that can be the place where people just end up spending their lives ruminating, right? And mm -hmm. reviewing and revisiting. And I got to look at it again. And I got to look at it from this thing. What about this thing? And so um, eventually, you know, we want to step out of that and into, you know, looking more at processing and completing. So check out that resource. As Nikki mentioned, you know, the Healing from Sexual Abuse Facebook group. Um, boy, that group is now over 5,000 people. It continues to grow every day. I have an amazing team of volunteers who support me in facilitating that group because there's just no way that I could do that on my own. And we have just a really beautiful community there people who are checking in and connecting and sharing their experiences and accessing resources. I have a free monthly support group that people can drop in on and all sorts of other things things. My, one of my intentions as a business owner was to make sure that we ha I had things at all sorts of different levels. So no matter where you're at, no matter what your resources are, your finances are, there's something for you. So come hang out with me. Come check it out. Check out the podcast, all of that good stuff. And um, if there's any way that I can be a support to any of you who are listening, just please reach out. I'm here for you. Beautiful, beautiful. And I want to use this as a teachable moment to therapists that are out there listening. If you are my client and you want to check out Rachel's work, go do it. A healthy healer will never grip you. Go check out somebody else's work. Expand yourself as much as you would like. That only adds to the richness of all of our healing. It takes nothing away. And if you are one of those therapists out there, I know because I hear the stories all the time, that starts to be shitty when your client wants to go explore. You're harming them. Mm. Encourage mm. them to explore. That's where a lot of the healing happens. A healthy parent encourages their child to spread their wings and to fly. And we have to do that as healers for our people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I always tell my clients, if you're still around here in, in 10 years, I've done something wrong. <laughs> I've done something terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> so like my cab, five years maybe because you're doing graduate work and you're doing, we're working on big projects and these sorts of things. But after that, if you don't cut yourself off, I'm cutting you off. What's next? Right. It, it is. It yeah. is. I've got some longer term clients, but probably because I start at that therapy place. But yeah, exactly. there's always a point. The yeah. goal is always that I'm trying to get you to a place where ultimately you're not going to need me because you're internalizing yeah. this work. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Wow, Nikki, it's been such a joy to connect with you and have this time. I've really appreciated it. Such a joy to ditto that. Thank you so much for spending your important time with us, sharing, expanding this audience and and just connecting and sharing yourself. I appreciate it so much being on the show and just being out there in the world. It feels like a support for me and what I'm doing that you're out there kind of rah, rah, cheerleading all this happy, happy healing work. Nice. Thank you. Love that. We'll stay in touch. Deal. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To make sure you get to the right place, if you're looking for Rachel Grant, her name is spelled R-A-C-H-E-L-G-R-A-N-T, and her website is rachelgrantcoaching.com, because there are a few Rachel Grants out there in the world, I found out, and so make sure you're spelling Rachel with R-A-C-H-E-L, and you'll, you'll find her work. I am an emotional badass. Rachel is an emotional badass. You, the listener, are an emotional badass. And together, we all are where Moxie meets Mindful. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.